0: Welcome to Crosspoint, 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 Crosspoint. Crosspoint. An interactive program featuring ministers and leaders of the Christian community addressing the issues that are challenging the church today. Here's your host, Mark Taylor.
1: The world's most wanted terrorist is dead. Now, what's coming up next? Well, you'll have to read the book to find out. Welcome to Crosspoint, I'm Mark Taylor. Today's guest, Joel Rosenberg, has dual citizenship between the United States and Israel. He is an author, and he's had got rid of nearly 5 million copies of his books, and he's caught the attention of even government leaders and uh, millions of readers. Well, here today on Crosspoint, we've got a uh, great opportunity again to talk to Joel Rosenberg and... Joel is an outstanding author. He's written a lot, a lot of books that have just really been bestsellers, uh, over 5 million copies or more that have been out there that people have, have bought and picked up. And uh, we're looking at this character, Joel, of Marcus Riker. This guy is involved again in uh, one of your many projects that you've done. Uh, Marcus is an indestructible guy almost, isn't he?
2: Well, Mark, great to be with you, and I'm so glad that you enjoyed the Libyan diversion and wanted to talk about it. So, so the Libyan diversion is uh, the fourth in this series of, of thrillers, and yeah, well, Marcus is, is—I wouldn't say he's not indestructible. He's, uh, in other words, you know, you watch a, a Tom Cruise Mission Impossible movie, and he uh, never seems to get injured. I mean, you know, it, it, so so Marcus Riker is a real guy. He joined the Marines. After he saw nine eleven in college, and decided I want to go, you know, hunt down Osama bin Laden and get his head on a platter, uh, he served multiple combat tours in Afghanistan and later in Iraq. And, and as, as we see in the first book, he's actually very badly wounded uh, in uh, in Iraq. I'm sorry, in Afghanistan. But he recovers. He gets home. He, he marries his you know high school sweetheart. Uh, he decides to join the United States Secret Service. In that, you know, those early books, we, you know, or in the first book, we see him uh, rise to the top of the uh, presidential protective detail. So he spent his whole life uh, protecting his country, its leaders, our freedoms. Uh, but some very tragic things happen in his own personal life. He, he, some people die that are very, very close to him, and it has a huge impact that he, you know, he's spent his whole life protecting his country but wasn't able to protect some of the people that he loves most. And it and it wounds him, and he leaves government service. So anyway, over the last several books, then, we see him get pulled back into uh, government service, eventually working for the Central Intelligence Agency. And in, by the time we get to the Libyan diversion, he's actually become one of the most, if not the most, trusted and effective uh, undercover you know, operators for the Central Intelligence Agency that the U.S. has, and that means he's being sent into incredibly dangerous situations. But he's lost friends along the way. He's been wounded badly along the way. You never quite know if I'm going to take him out, because I will say, Mark, you probably read some of my past series, uh, at least one of my main characters I killed off, uh, shocking everybody uh, when I did it, because I don't want anyone to think, that anyone is safe in these thrillers
1: well and talk about them being thrillers uh, I mean, even the main character hardly has time to eat. <laughs> you've got him, moving, <laughs> you've got him moving around a lot, and uh, you know I've listened to a lot of the audio books. You know, be traveling, and boy, you hope oh, the, love you, yeah, then. you hope the miles continue on so you can get to the end of that book, and you don't have to stop and wait. You know, a couple right. of days before you can pick up on it again because it is uh, pretty, like you said, action packed. It's great reading if. Uh, Christian people love novels, and they want to read something that's not got a lot of bad stuff in it. Uh, I mean, as far as profanity and that kind of stuff, I mean, your books are good books to uh, uh, people get in and read. And, you know, it also amazes me uh, how you're so relevant to what's going on in our world uh, when you write these. That really makes us think, how do you do that?
2: First of all, I appreciate it, and uh, my approach towards writing political thrillers I'm not writing, you know, Anne of Green Gables or Pride and Prejudice or, you know, I mean, you know, I have a very specific type of thriller that I'm writing. There are thrillers that, um, they're not historical thrillers, they're thrillers about what could happen tomorrow or in the days ahead if American or Western leadership is blindsided by evil they don't understand, evil they don't see coming because they're so preoccupied by their own issues, either at home, or they're so convinced that they understand foreign policy, but they just don't. And, and that pride goes before a fall. And, uh, and so the way I research these novels is I study the lives and the speeches and the writings of the most evil uh, terror groups and countries in the world. And then I believe them when they say they're going to, you know, their objectives are to do this, that, or the other thing. Like when the Iranian regime, for example, says we want to wipe Israel off the map and we want to create a world without the United States, you know, some people could say, "Well, that's just rhetoric." Well, I believe them. I believe that's what the regime wants to do. I'm not talking about the Iranian people, and I'm not even talking about the Iranian parliament or most of the you know the country, or even the you know even mid-level officials, or even some senior officials, but the the Supreme Leader, absolutely he wants to wipe out the United States and Israel. It's part of his end times radical apocalyptic Shia Islamic theology or eschatology. And, and so, you know, when you study the writings, the teachings, the lives, the the, the speeches, the the, um, the tweets, whatever, of your worst enemies, too often people in Washington, people in Brussels and London and elsewhere, They actually don't believe what these evil people say they want to accomplish, and that's why they're so often blindsided, because they they find a way to ignore or excuse these horrific uh, ambitions. You You know, Adolf Hitler, probably best example in modern history, he wrote a book, Mein Kampf. Nobody believed him except Winston Churchill, right? And... You know, the Jewish people of Germany and Europe didn't believe him. Uh, The American president didn't believe him. Uh, You know, Churchill wasn't the prime minister at that time. Obviously, Neville Chamberlain didn't believe Hitler. But Hitler said exactly what he intended to do. So I study these people. I believe them. And then I write worst-case scenarios. I say, what if they had a chance to actually try to do what they say they want to do? What would that look like? And then, then how would we stop him? to stop them, and
1: that's my approach. Well, when you started this series with Marcus Riker, you, you got the Kremlin conspiracy, the Persian gamble, the Jerusalem assassination, uh, the Beirut protocol, and now the Libyan... Oh, wait, this
2: is fifth. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, yeah it's fourth. the sixth.
1: Yeah, the Libyan diversion. Okay, why pick um, the Libya part of it? Libyan, there's, there. what's the connection here in, in, when it comes to Libyan? Well, yeah, it's a good question, Mark, and, and, and the answer is this. So... You know, if if you dial
2: our mental clock back to the late 1990s, Osama bin Laden had declared war on the United States. It's just that nobody in Washington believed him. And then came 9-11, right? Why did bin Laden have time and and opportunity to plan such a horrific attack? Because he lived in the ungoverned spaces of Afghanistan. Libya has become a modern Afghanistan. It is is ungoverned. It's chaos. You know, the U.S. and NATO under Obama, President Obama, took out, uh, you know, Muammar Gaddafi, the president of Libya, thinking that if they killed Humpty Dumpty, they could put the country back together again. But they haven't been able to. And so Libya has become a vast, ungoverned space where terrible people are plotting terrible things and nobody's really stopping them. So I decided, since I hadn't dealt with Libya yet, and not that most Americans uh, or readers care, but I wanted a a realistic place that a new terror group could be fomenting horrific attacks against the United States and that's where I put them. But as as the title implies, and I won't give it away, but the Libyan, that phrase also refers to uh, the main bad guy in this series, which is um, a, a guy uh, who's known who's to guerre, his war name is the Libyan. Why? Because while his mother was Palestinian from Gaza, the man's father was from Libya. And so he's referred to in the CIA, again, all fictional, but uh, in the novel series that I've written, uh, the Libyan diversion, the Libyan is actually a person who that's that's another nickname that the CIA under Marcus Riker has have given him. And so the Libyan is not only trying to hide from the CIA, from Marcus, who's a task to hunt him down and take him out, but he's also trying to create a diversion, a massive diversion, that will pull Marcus Riker and his CIA team far away from the shores of the United States while Abu Nakba, the Libyan aka the Libyan is Secreting, you know, terror teams into the United States, into the homeland, to wreak horrific terror far worse than 9/11. So that Libyan diversion title is a is is a play on several things, not only the geography of the ungoverned spaces of Libya, but also this this main character.
1: Now, now, Joel, these books will keep you right on the edge of your seat a lot of times now i do have a question though i I do have a question about the book though so for the reader that's you know wanting to read the libyan diversion there's 144 chapters but these chapters are just little tiny chapters are not i mean because if you say 144 chapters is that thing you know 20 inches thick or something but it's it's (laughs) not because but why such little chapters why why do you break it up like that
2: So I have a a strategy as I write these novels that the first thing is, you know, people really do judge a book by its cover, by its title, by the imagery, by the color. You know, it it either grabs you or it doesn't. Right. And so I I just love the guy who who does the covers for all my books. And I think he's blown the doors off in terms of living the version. But once a person picks that book up, then they're going to read the first sentence. And that first sentence has to grab you. The first page has to grab you. So I write short first sentences. I write intense uh, chapters. I write short chapters, uh, often with cliffhanger endings, so that the, the rhythm of, the, of the, the pacing of the book feels like I'm, you, that you're moving quickly, that you're not getting bogged down, and you're, and you're reading. And then they're like, uh, you know, these chapters are like Pringles, Mark. You can't eat just one. And so one of the things I love is when I get tweets or Facebook messages or you know whatever emails or whatever from people saying like they're furious with me. It's now five or six o'clock in the morning, and they've been up all night because they've been thinking, "Well, just one more chapter. I just happen to know what happens next." And and that that's the job of a thriller writer is to thrill. If you're thinking, "Ah, I can just set this down and I don't really care," you're not going to spend twenty eight dollars on the next book. You're not going to. You're not even going to finish. The book, so it's not Netflix, it's not Amazon Prime, right? It's not a, it's not a Tom Cruise, you know, IMAX thriller. You don't buy your ticket, walk in, and and then get excited, you know, enjoy it or don't. But you're still going to sit there for two hours. No, people don't even want to read, right? So if you don't keep it super interesting, they're not going to read. So if you're going to sell five million copies, you would better grab people's throat, as it were and get their heart racing and then pull them through every page every chapter you have to earn it you have to own it otherwise people are going to abandon you and I uh I'm doing my best. So short chapters is part of my plan.
1: Well, you said it, uh, five million copies. So uh, if somebody was wanting to get a, a copy or a copy of one of many of the other books you've written, uh, the newest one, The Libyan Diversion, how would they go about doing that? Well,
2: sure. You can find uh, Joel Rosenberg novels anywhere, uh, certainly any bookstore or uh, obviously easily on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or any other online bookstore that, that you love. And of course, uh, as you say, they're also on audio. I, I Personally, I love to get through books that I would not have time for on audio. I love to, you know, just when I get up, I'm, maybe I'm shaving or I'm going to get milk. I, you know, I'm, I'm much happier to get to errands for my wife if I've got a good um, you know, uh, audio book. Uh, because, all right, so 10 minutes there, 10 minutes back. Hey, that's 20 more minutes. I can listen to this book. And so so they're all on audio, all of mine, and they're also of course on ebooks so you can get it on your phone, you can get it on your your iPad or your laptop uh, Kindle nook whatever so they're available in all those different formats, and yeah, you can find them anywhere if you if you go into an independent bookstore, they may not have them, or they may not have many of them, but you can just ask. Uh, if you love you know, your local Christian or independent bookstore, just ask them. They'll order it, and they'll, they'll be there in a couple days.
1: Well, folks, stay with us. We're going to be back with more Joel Rosenberg right after this. This is Mark Taylor. If you miss a broadcast of Crosspoint, you can always go to our website at www.kneo.org and click on the programs page. There, you can access the current Crosspoint program as well as the last four programs that have been aired. Never miss another Crosspoint program again. Go to www.kneo.org today.
0: Do you have five minutes for God? I'm Pastor Ed Wilson, and I believe there's no better way to begin each morning than spending a little time with him. That's why every weekday morning I bring you a short devotional broadcast designed just for that. Look up God's 5 Minutes wherever you get your podcast to kickstart your spiritual walk for each day. and We'll always do it in 5 minutes or less. Have you talked to God today?
1: Welcome back to Crosspoint. I'm your host, Mark Taylor. My guest today is Joel C. Rosenberg. Joel's written a lot of books. His latest one, The Libyan Diversion, a Marcus Riker novel. And, uh, you know, Joel, you have a lot of talent for focusing on storytelling and uh, really hot spots that are going on in the world that people can relate to. And I would think with all the things that are going on in our world and these so many different hot spots, you could have several books going at one time that you could be writing.
2: <laughs> well, I, I, maybe I could, but I have a few other things going on. First, I'm married and I have a kid, although my youngest is now just uh, graduated and is heading to university, so that's for newly empty nesters. But I'm also uh, covering what's going on in the Middle East and throughout Israel in this region. I live in Jerusalem, uh, and it is, it is never a dull moment here. So I run two news and analysis sites, uh, primarily for Christians, but it's not exclusively for Christians, All Israel News, which you can find at allisrael.com, and All Arab News, which you can find at allarab.net. And what's interesting about it is that, you know, it's hard for me, who is trying to write novels about what could happen, Uh, tomorrow or the next day, it's hard for me not to be super interested in what is happening right now or the threats that are coming in real life. And that's why, you know, if I only wrote novels, yes, I could probably write two a year. I I have friends that do that, but I have other interests, meaning what are evil people trying to do right now and what kind of peace is breaking out in the Middle East? You know, Israel keeps making treaties now with uh, we now have six arab israeli peace treaties those include the four in the abraham Accords, and we're trying to make peace with saudi arabia and other countries as well and i have a hard time just thinking i just want to live in the world of fiction because i don't <laughs> so that is that that is my challenge is how do you keep writing thrillers and cover what's really happening and do it in an effective way and one more thing i actually do a weekly prime time television show the only weekly primetime TV show news and analysis from Israel. Uh, We produce it here in Jerusalem at the studios just down the street uh, from me, and um, and that's every Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern on uh, TBN. It's called the Rosenberg Report, and I've been interviewing, you know, the Prime Minister of Israel, you know, the uh, Iranian crown prince when he made his historic first visit ever, to Israel. Um, I had I was the only American TV network uh, correspondent to interview them. So we're doing stuff like that. People can learn about that at RosenbergReport.tv. Again, RosenbergReport.tv. And uh, you can sign up for a free email and I'll just send you information each week, every Thursday, about what's on that night and uh, a link to last week's in case you missed it. So that's a lot going on. <laughs> Yeah, I have friends that say, "Don't no, don't do any of that stuff. But on the other hand, I have a lot of friends that saying, wow, what's happening in real life right now is so important, exciting, and dangerous that they want me to keep covering it so and building a team to do it as well. So that is my uh, my little bit overbooked life at
1: the moment. Now, you seem to have a better understanding than some of Middle Eastern uh, geopolitics that's going on. Now, if I understand it right, you are you have dual citizenship of U- United States citizenship and Israeli citizenship, is yeah, that correct? that's true. And yeah. you live in Israel, so do you think by, you know, being that way, having that dual citizenship and uh, living in Israel, you're right there where you can kind of pick up on what's going on, and that helps you, uh, maybe than some others, have a little better understanding?
2: Well, absolutely. I... I uh... Look, it's a target-rich environment over here. And, uh, you know, we've got Hamas always trying to fire missiles at us and kill us. You got Hezbollah, the Iranian-backed terror group with 150,000 missiles facing us from southern Lebanon. Um, You know, you've got Iran dangerously close to building fully operational nuclear weapons. You got Russia working closely with Iran, Iran building killer drones to kill Ukrainians in Russia, but trying to kill us with those as well. Like, it is, it is high stakes here in Israel. And then, and then you've got all these peace treaties. And, uh, you know, one of the things that's been interesting, Mark, we've lived here now nine years. We've been through multiple wars. I have two sons of my... Two of my sons have served in the Israeli army, including one of them in an intelligence unit and another one in a special forces unit. and And on top of that, I've been invited to meet with... Um, the king of Jordan, the president of Egypt, uh, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. And not just once, but multiple times for each of those, plus the crown prince of the United Arab Emirates and the leaders of Bahrain, the leaders of Morocco. And I'm not a billionaire. You know, I'm not uh, a—I don't have some massive political organization. I'm a a novelist and and a reporter, but I'm also an evangelical Christian— And what's happening is Arab Muslim leaders at the highest levels, and I'm not as well as the Israeli Prime Minister and opposition leaders, they're inviting me to come and meet with them, not for a photo op, but for hours, to sit and talk and have coffee and and talk about the most important and major issues in the region, war, peace, prosperity, uh, religious freedom. Not only are those things interesting and also why I can't just write novels, but you know, I'm the only novelist that, I, that I'm aware of, that certainly New York Times best-selling novelist, that's ever met with the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, not just once, but twice. And so when I wrote a novel called The Jerusalem Assassin, as you mentioned a few years ago, another one of the Mar- Marcus Riker novels, it's the third one in the series, um, it's about a, a, a Saudi crown prince who wants to make peace with Israel And about the bad guys who want to come out of the woodwork and blow up the peace process. Well, that's an interesting premise because that could happen. But it's also interesting because I've actually sat with the crown prince for hours and hours to talk about these very things. And I've actually given him a copy of The Jerusalem Assassin. And uh, not only has he read it, but he told me he was going to give it to his father to read as well. The father's the king. So that's not normal. I realize that. Um, but it's interesting, and it adds flavor, it adds nuance, it adds depth, I think, to the the books that I'm writing. One other note, I just, for people who are like, well, forget fiction, have you written a book about your meetings with all of these most senior leaders throughout the Middle East, including Israel? And the answer is yes. I wrote a book two years ago, a non-fiction book called Enemies and Allies, and it is a it, it may be one of my favorite books I've ever written because it, it's true. And I take you you know inside the motorcades, inside the palaces, inside the conversations that I had. So you can get a better sense of what, what really is happening in this region. Why are things changing so much? What's the threat to the United States? And who are our friends these days? Who are our allies? And who are our enemies? Because a lot of it's changing. And my book is the only one. Uh, Enemies and Allies, that has exclusive interviews with all of those leaders, even books written by New York Times correspondents and Wall Street Journal correspondents, they've never actually sat with these leaders, so their books are very, very different than mine.
1: And also, I think another great book you've done is Epicenter. That's to well, me, was, was, a, was a was a good book as well. So, you know, yeah, you write a lot of fiction, but n- there's some nonfiction books there that are uh, really should be uh, given some attention to uh, for any reader uh, to pick on. If the, If you don't like to read fiction or whatever, you can pick up something like that and really help you understand what's going on in your world, actually, where you're at uh, and how what we're hearing on our side and what you know is on the other side, and I like that. Now, Joel, would you say, you know, when we talk about fiction, uh, yours is a little different, and I kind of would refer to it as a a prophetic fiction. Uh, Has anybody say that, or is that, you know, kind of what maybe you do right along the lines of as a prophetic fiction? Well, a lot of people
2: say it. I don't like it Sort of accept the claim that I'm a prophet. I'm not trying to predict the future. I don't have some sort of clairvoyance. Uh, I'm an evangelical Christian. I believe in Bible prophecy, but I'm not a Bible prophet. What I'm doing is I'm playing a war game, really, in my novels. I'm looking at a threat that I think is real. I have, you know, I have the blessing over the years of writing novels for more than 20 years, that three former CIA directors are people that I've gotten to know. Some of them are readers of my novels. Mike Pompeo, um, uh, Porter Goss, two former CIA directors, and of course, Pompeo was also the Secretary of State. They're fans of the novels, and I've become friends with these people, and and others like them, and and they give me insights also. So, my point being that I'm not trying to predict the future i'm i'm trying to to write a very realistic but exciting and intense and super fast paced war game of what could happen something i don't want to happen something that i i pray to god never happens but i want it to feel so real and that and because by god's grace i i am making them feel very real and sometimes they seem to predict the future in ways that i don't intend this is why the king of jordan has read my novel. This is why the, the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia and the Vice President of the United States, Mike Pence, uh, Pompeo, and others, read my books because, you know, they've got very interesting day jobs, right, Mark? More interesting than you and me. But they have found these fascinating, and it's caused them to want to talk to me. Like, where, do you, where are you getting this? It's the same question you're asking, but they're asking, and they, they have access to classified information, and I don't. So it's, the, but it's the same premise again, and and so yeah. If I've been called a modern Nostradamus uh, or a prophet or whatever, but I don't claim any of that. I'm just um, it is unique, I guess, what I'm doing, but it's not with some weird, uh, you know, mystical sense about it. Um, you know, some of my one other point: some of my novels in the past have been based on Bible prophecies. I think specifically of a novel called The Ezekiel Option. Yep, It was part of a series, but that, that specific one was very much about a prophecy called The War of Gog and Magog, uh, which, you know, the short version is that Russia, a dictator will rise in Russia uh, someday in the last days of history, form an alliance with Iran and Sudan and Turkey and a group of other hostile countries, and they're going to come and try to attack and devour and destroy and annihilate Israel in the last days before the Messiah comes, found in Ezekiel, chapters 38 and 39 of the Bible. So I thought, well, I don't know how it's going to play out, but let me imagine how it might. So that's, a, that's an example where I'm basing a novel on, on what the Bible says will happen, but of course, um, that prophecy hasn't come true yet. But it was weird, because when the novel came out in 2005, um, I, you know, part of the novel, I literally have a, my Iranian leader in the book say, we're going to wipe Israel off the map. And just a few months after the Ezekiel option was released, uh, the new president of Iran, who was just elected the day that the novel released it, released, uh, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad said, we're going to wipe Israel off the map. You know, that was very famous threat that people still quote today. Well, he had not said that yet. (laughs) He had not been president when I was writing it. But that was a weird intersection of, I was writing about Bible prophecy, but I'm not prophetic, but I did hit much closer than I anticipated to creating a fictional line that an actual brain and really did say. So that's why people find, that's one of the reasons people find these books interesting
1: now yeah. well folks stay with us and we're going to come back with more talking about this interesting book the libyan diversion a marcus reicher novel with joel c rosenberg right after this
0: whatever you're facing god cares i've had a number of very overwhelming things in my life
1: ultimately i had to depend on god and as a result he helped me through
0: it 91.7 the word i can certainly trust him
1: You're listening to Crosspoint. Thanks for tuning in today. I'm talking with Joel Rosenberg about the Libyan Diversion, Marcus Riker novel. Joel's wrote several of these books. Joel, how can people find out more if they want to know about this novel and the series? This is a a series right here, this, and you've done other series as well, a lot of books. Tell people how they can find out more.
2: Yeah, sure. Happy to do it. Uh, Well, the, the easiest, simplest way is to just go to my homepage. Uh, My website is Joel Rosenberg, and that's Rosenberg, B-E-R-G, at the end, joelrosenberg.com, joelrosenberg.com. And then you'll not only have a place to find, you know, access to each of the novels, and you'll find interviews that I've done, articles I've written, you'll find access to all initial news uh, and the Rosenberg Report and other, you know, projects that I'm working on that, you know, sort of, com is sort of one-stop shopping, uh, so you don't have to remember all those other um, websites that we do run. I have a podcast called Inside the Epicenter, which has received more than 3.5 million views and downloads and listens, uh, that we're talking about every week about what is happening in the Middle East, um, particularly for Christians. So I'm an evangelical Christian from a Jewish background, so not all my books... Um, have a heavy emphasis of being of Christianity, but 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 most of them have at least some, and some of them have quite a bit because I care about those things, um, not just radical Islam and and uh, and then friendly Muslims uh, or, or Jews, um, but Christians as well and others. So yeah, you can find out all about me and uh, the books at Joel dot com.
1: Now let's look at the book chapter one. Right at the very first, I'm going to read just a few lines of it. It says the inky black skies over southern Iraq suddenly erupt with sound and fury, as if it was a slumbering Babylonian gods had awakened from beneath the desert sands and began hurling their javelins up and up into the heavens. The vastened skyline was filled with crisscrossing streaks of fire all across the city. Aircraft barriers or anti-aircraft barriers were active. Uh, uh, air raid sirens blared. A million residents were now awake and scrambling for basements and bomb shelters. When you tell a story like this, compared to somebody else, uh, you've experienced some of this stuff, haven't you?
2: <laughs> well, I, I've never served in the military, but I live in a country that has been yep. attacked by maybe ten or fifteen thousand rockets and missiles since we moved here. Okay, so um, I've I've seen them shot at us. I've seen israel's fantastic almost miraculous anti-rocket defense system called the iron dome i've seen those rockets fire and blow the uh enemy missiles out of the sky that's really quite something to behold so yeah i live in a country that is uh usually safe and usually very welcome to you know tourists especially christian tourists and jewish tourists and whatever but sometimes we have uh we have bad days. Fortunately, uh, we're not having them right now. But uh, but yeah, I've gotten to see this stuff happen.
1: Yeah. And the book along the, the storyline that you uh, do, you watch things kind of unfolding around you and start making notes and say, this is going to be a great to add into another book when I write it. And do you have a lot of notes that you collect? as you travel in different areas and you watch what's happening there in the Middle East.
2: Absolutely, And, and I'll, let me tell you an interesting anecdote about uh, the Libyan diversion. So, um, you know, I mentioned that uh, I've become friends over the years with Mike Pompeo. So I first met Mike when he was a member of Congress, and he was on the House Intelligence Committee. And one of his, uh, you know, one of his staffers contacted me and said, Hey, you know, my boss, uh, Congressman Pompeo, is, is, you know, reads your books, loves them. If you're ever up on Capitol Hill, you know, when you're back from Israel here in the United States, why don't you uh, come up and have a cup of coffee with him? He'd love to meet you. So I thought, well, that'd be fun. That'd be, who knew when I met him that he would become the CIA director and the secretary of state? I hadn't, you know, I had no idea. He had no idea. But we've been friends over these years. And so he was also a source for my, my nonfiction book, Enemies and Allies. So all that to say we were having an event in washington dc a couple of years ago uh, on the weekend of 9-11 and talking about you know where is america 20 years after 9-11 you know who are our enemies who are our allies and as we were talking about it i, I asked and i was interviewing in front of an audience uh, as we were launching uh, enemies and allies and i said uh secretary pompeo I, i've asked you about all these different threats but what haven't I asked you, right? What's, what's worrying you? What keeps you up at night that you fear is becoming a threat that maybe I haven't even thought to ask you that I'm not paying attention to. And secretary Pompeo said, you know, Joel, what worries me are the ungoverned spaces on the, in, in Northern Mexico along the U S border. I said, okay, talk about that. What, what, do you mean by that? He goes, well, basically the Mexican government has essentially surrendered um to drug cartels, human traffickers um, and, and and you know, and other criminal um, syndicates and and they're not really in in control of most of their of the Mexican border with the United States. That's why we have such huge problems people coming through illegally into the United States just since President Biden took office, right? That's why Pompeo with president trump and and were working so hard to build a wall and stop people from coming but but of course, President Biden has abandoned all that. And now there's 7 million, 7 million people that flooded in in the last uh, you know, two and a half years. So what Pompeo said to me is, what I worry about is, if we don't get that border secure, that's fentanyl, deadly fentanyl drugs coming in, that's human traffickers coming in, that's crime. You know, what a mess that is, and it's going to get much, much worse. Well, as I thought about that, Mark, I thought, well, what if Middle Eastern terrorists stop trying to get on airplanes Right and fly into America like they did 20 years ago. What if they just walked in uh, across the Mexican border into the United States and then started plotting to execute these horrific attacks inside the homeland far worse than 9-11? And so that, that conversation with Secretary Pompeo became the premise for the Libyan diversion where Abu Nakba, a.k.a. the Libyan, is sending in terror cells from multiple points of entry through Mexico, but also through Canada, to do these horrific mass casualty events, and the question is whether Marcus Reicher and his team can figure it out and stop it in time. All of that came from, you know, not honestly, not from my own imagination, but from a. The type of conversations I just love to have with people who know more than I do. And in that case, Secretary Mike Pompeo.
1: I also noticed that, and I won't give it away, but the, the book really ends differently than, than I was expecting. You, you really do have a way of good <laughs> setting things up. You caught me off guard at the end of the book.
2: Well, good. Well, so I said to you that, you know, the whole point of a thriller, writer. look, you might have a message, you might have something political you want to say or or a spiritual you want to say or, you know, uh, cultural or social, whatever. But you have got to thrill people. And one of the ways you thrill people is by having twists and turns, uh, reversals, uh, things. You just have to keep people off guard so they don't know what's going to happen next. If they think that the main character is always going to live, and no matter what happens to him or her then they all then they don't feel nervous right but in real life we don't know what's gonna happen if we get in a gunfight or you know or a plane that you know is hijacked with we don't know what the ending is gonna be and you shouldn't know as a reader but when you watch a Tom Cruise movie and I love Tom Cruise movies don't get me wrong uh, or a Jason Bourne movie right with Matt Damon you know going into that theater that character is going to live. But when you enter a Joel Rosenberg novel, you don't know which character, not just the main character, but any character. I'm trying to build, I'm trying to help you become, like, that you enjoy, even love characters in my book, or hate them, but, but the ones you love, you don't want them to die. I literally had an email this morning from a former U.S. ambassador, I won't mention who, who said, hey, my wife and I just finished reading the Libyan Diversion and we're so glad you didn't kill so-and-so. I'm not going to say who. Uh, one of the characters in the book. And I'm like, well, I'm not... And he goes, you know, so please never do that. So that that's what makes a thriller work is like if you get into it and you love the characters and you care about them and you're sort of invested in them, then the question becomes what's going to happen to them? And it might not be death, but what if they're kidnapped? What if they're terribly wounded, right? My last novel was called The Beirut Protocol, uh, and you may recall that in that, you know, in the first chapter, or maybe the second, there's not only a massive firefight on the Israel-Lebanon border with Marcus Riker and his team against a, a team of terrorists, a Hezbollah terrorists, but Marcus and his team gets captured. You know, I've never written a novel where my team gets kidnapped, right? It just n- never happened, and so people didn't see it coming. Now, suddenly, Marcus is dragged through a terror tunnel deep inside Lebanon. And we know, the readers of my books know that Marcus is incredibly, you know, you said, nothing ever happens to me. Nothing ever dies. He's hes like a superhero. Yeah, but what happens when he's all tied up and people are electrocuting him and they're going to try to kill him? And then what's going to happen? How is he going to get out? What can he get out? So that's what thrillers do if they if they work well and it's like just like any tv show or any movie that you love that you don't know what's going to happen that's why you watch if you don't care what's going to happen then you change the channel or throw the book away right? but if you do care that's what's going to keep you up all night and that's my job <laughs> yeah. i have other elements of what i want to do but if i don't do that i'm not doing my job
1: well, you do say in the acknowledgments of the books that someone once said the two most important dates in a man's life are the day they're born and the day that he realizes what he was born, why he was born. Uh, for reasons beyond my understanding, I was born to be a storyteller, and it took me a while to understand that, but the day I did, it changed everything. So you know what you're supposed to do, you know your assignment, and that's what you're doing, right?
2: I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm glad you're enjoying them. I'm glad that anybody enjoys this. You know, it's a strange profession. Let's just maybe close on on this thought, which is being a novelist is a really weird job, right? Because the job of a novelist is to sit down in front of a computer that's blank, right? And it has that cursor flashing, waiting for you to fill it in. And my job is to fill it up with 100,000 words or so that's a story that's completely not true, right? It's completely (laughs) my imagination. But I've got to persuade you to spend $28 and several days of your life to buy it, read it, and finish it. And it's not, none of it's true, so why should you bother? You're a busy person. You have other things to do. And, and that's why I, I joke that like the cursor, like the word curse is right in the word. It's like daring you. You can't do this. You don't know how to do this. You'll never be able to make a novel where someone will read it. And then how will you sell five million? It's just a weird job, right? Somebody who's digging a ditch or healing somebody as a doctor or nurse or or teaching someone at a school that's a job like that you know building a building you know being a carpenter that makes sense <laughs> what i do it doesn't really make sense but people love it not just mine but this thriller uh, genre my friends Brad Thor or uh, Don Bentley or Kyle Mills or these others they this is what they do this is what i do and it's it's fun but it's hard uh, but not as hard as other people's jobs that are, you know, they have real jobs. It's a strange, wor- it's a strange job. <laughs> Just yeah. that.
1: Well, and you know, it's great to be able to sit down and read something that's not full of a bunch of profanities like many of them are. And uh, you know, if you may, I'll go on the other side of the coin to to read books like this. So I do appreciate well, that. Right? I know. mean, there's a lot
2: of violence. So yeah, you know, there is. Need to know that. But <laughs> but I'm not trying to be gratuitous in the violence. It's intense and it's felt, but it's not. My wife won't let me, you know, yeah. have, you know, bloody, like, all kinds of, you're not going to see. But anyway, but, but they're right. There's no, there's no sexual, you know, scenes. There's no uh, profanity. There's some, so that's because of my values. Um, but the, but that, it does make it an additional challenge because yeah. a lot of people who sure. read. That's today's language. Time, yeah, it's that's today's language, they right? That's yeah. Are a little put off if it's yeah. not in there yeah but
1: um yeah. yeah yeah tell us how we can you know go about getting the, the libyan diversion or any other the other books
2: well thank you yeah i again i would say the best way is to go to my website joelrosenberg.com again rosenberg is spelled r-o-s-e-n-b-e-r-g not b-u-r-g b-e-r-g joelrosenberg.com uh, you can just google that or just put, type that in and that's, the, that's like Grand Central Station. That's CENTCOM. That's, that's where you'll find all my books. You'll find my bio. You'll find all the other projects and things that, were, that I'm involved in. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter. You can follow me on Facebook, um, Instagram. And, um, yeah, I hope that's – and then uh, the best thing to do is I would say – the great thing about the Libyan Diversion is if you can read it and love it, you won't feel lost. Like, I don't really know who Marcus is. I, I write them in a way you don't have to have read the ones before. But but if you love it, then yes, double back and start with the Kremlin Conspiracy. The Kremlin Conspiracy was the first in this particular yeah. series of Marcus Riker. That's where I introduced the character. And I should just note to your audience, Mark, that what's weird about that one <laughs> is that the, the Kremlin conspiracy is about a dictator in Russia who's trying to decide, should, should I invade Ukraine or the three Baltic countries of NATO, Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania? And all of this happened. I wrote it, and it you know became a bestseller years before Putin decided to invade Ukraine. I think it was an interesting story when I wrote it, but it's really interesting, I think, now because... Basically, I put you inside the head and inside the the room of the Russian dictator as he's making decisions, and of and of the U.S. top officials that they're trying to counter and understand what's the Russian dictator thinking, and might somebody assassinate the Russian dictator? Right? I mean, this is, it feels like it's ripped out of this year's headlines. Yeah, but it was written what five, six, or six years ago. Yeah. So. Pretty
1: crazy. yeah well, thanks again so much, Joel, for joining us from Israel and talking about your book today. My pleasure, great to be with you. All right folks, a great interview that we had today. Uh, man, a lot of good stuff there. Hey, if you really like reading novels, you want to pick up one of Joel's they're great. You know this other book in my hand that's where Joel gets a lot of stuff when he writes. he he goes along with the different things that goes on in the Bible, the Bible, the the very book that tells us what life's all about the Bible that contains the most important words you're ever going to read and certainly ever follow. So be sure to join us again next time as we again discuss issues that are affecting the church. Have a great week. Allow God to use you for His purposes so that greater things can be done. Make your life count in God's plans for eternity. I'm Mark Taylor.
0: Crosspoint is a program produced in Studio 101 at KNEO Radio. Not all of the views on Crosspoint reflect those of the management or staff of KNEO. You may contact the Crosspoint program at 10827 Highway 86 East, The Osho, Missouri, 64850, or by email crosspoint at kneo.org. You can hear Crosspoint four times a week Saturday morning at 1, Saturday afternoon at 2, Saturday evening at 9, and Sunday evening at 7. You can also listen anytime online at kneo.org.
2: Harper's Kennel of Stella, Missouri is proud to be sponsoring this portion of broadcasting on KNEO. Owned by Judy and Danny Harper, Harper's Kennel of Stella, Missouri specializes in French Bulldogs. For more information, the phone number is 417-628-3083.